0: Are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast
1: with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Archana Bandi. She's part of the University of Pittsburgh, clinical director, part of telehealth services at the VA Pittsburgh healthcare system. We're going to talk about uh, some of the work that she's doing. And she's also brought along uh, one of her patients, talk about some specific uh, outcomes that he's had. So thanks for coming, Dave. Thanks for coming, Arch. I appreciate it. Sure, no problem. So, uh, yeah, Arch, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, your work, please.
2: Um, So thank you for this opportunity, uh, Rich, for uh, Dave and I to share the work that we have done. So I'm an endocrinologist by my clinical craft, and I take care of patients with mostly chronic diseases. And as you may be aware, there's a projected shortage of endocrinologists across the country, while the... Prevalence and cost of diabetes continues to rise. So um what this creates a huge gap for patients in accessing the care, um right care at the right time. So what's unique to my work environment at VA, where I am, is that we have a system built on hub and spoke pattern where a very pr- robust uh, primary care network is uh, embedded across the country where veterans live and the specialists are located in central uh, hub location so patients usually have to travel long distance but what we have done very successfully at va is we have used the tools of telehealth and deliver the care for veterans closer to their home so we've done a study, a pilot study um, about 11 years ago, and studied the electronic consultation services. And based on those results, VA as a system has rolled out e-consult services across its own networks. Oh,
1: nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. What, what was uh, it like before when, would uh, I guess, uh, patients would have to go to the VA and with their long lines to be seen? And
2: exactly. Exactly wait system, the wait times were long, patients had to wait, doctors, the system just were very fragmented. The ground of groundwork for electronic consultation was always there. So with a formal e-consult service as we call, we really established a network where patients, physician, and patients themselves could get an answer for smaller problems, and sometimes even complex problem without having to travel.
1: Well, this year with uh, COVID, it looks like telehealth has been opened up across state borders. Uh, is that gonna impact what you're doing in, uh, in Virginia or not at all? I'm sorry.
2: Oh, COVID has really pressed the reset button across the healthcare. It's a watershed moment. Um, Really, the healthcare system is the only service, I should say, in our country where technology had not trickled down to bring its best fruit to us. And what COVID has really taught us that we were ready for a significant part. Um, So it's changed how we're doing things. And e consult is just one part of that. Um, The story of telehealth is going to continue to grow. And here at VA Pittsburgh uh, Healthcare System, uh, we make the care be available to patients where they are, and we try to do best possible. Um, And that's what most of my work focuses on. And I take endocrinology as my sandbox to create new programs and really transform the um, healthcare delivery, so to speak.
1: So um, you're an endocrinologist, but do you tend to see thyroid cases or do you deal with diabetes more? Like what are the top few conditions that you need to help patients with?
2: Yeah. So diabetes really lends itself very easily to telehealth. That's bulk of my tele- telemedicine work. But there are certain conditions uh, such as thyroid disease, follow-up of osteoporosis, chronic management of obesity, um, uh, patients with high cholesterol, Um High lipids, especially the chronic care, the longitudinal care um, is can, can it, it does lend itself very well to telehealth
1: so uh, when did the telehealth consults when were they approved and when did they start happening
2: um so eConsult really uh, took off in 2011 for uh, Veteran Health Affairs um, for, for us. And now they're part and parcel of our care. Um, what we do is now goes beyond eConsult. We do video clinics to patients home and we do the uh, video teleconferencing to our patients who are located in remote areas where they come to their primary care office uh, and be triaged uh, by local nurses and be seen by a physician such as me who is located hundreds of miles away. And it really took off in 2012 and 13. So we have very mature programs now.
1: But in Pittsburgh, I don't think they call it a tri-state area, but I know it borders like, you know, you have West Virginia there and you have a couple of states. Mm -hmm. Um, So now telehealth restrictions seem to have been lifted where you can do it across state lines. Is that helping you to reach more of your population or was it not a problem?
2: so that was not a problem for us we're a federal system and the um, these legal aspect of crossing the border are usually driven by state medical boards and apply to non um federal healthcare systems so for us uh, for example david lives in west virginia my patients come from as far as central pennsylvania eastern ohio upstate new york this That probably was the reason we were so successful in expanding our programs. Um, once we realized that we could do it and we had the tools uh, to do that.
1: Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, uh, David, would you be okay yes. if I hear from you a little bit? What's What's been your experience with the VA and has it changed recently or it's just, has it been good or bad? Like, you know, give me a few well, ideas.
3: Yeah, over the past 20 years plus that I've been with the VA, I, I, I can't see enough uh, things about the entire system I mean I I myself personally have never had a problem with the VA they've always given me excellent service and excellent care um, physicians like Dr. Bandy uh, I mean just absolutely phenomenal people that uh, that are available for health care and and with them with the program of the telehealth and uh, video conferencing and those kind of things it's where folks like myself are kind of distant from the medical centers for the VA, like in Pittsburgh or, or Clarksburg or whatever, that's a quite distance to go. It, it affords us the opportunity to be able to, to uh, do one-on-one with our physician uh, as if we were sitting in the office right there with them. So I, I think it's very important that, that uh, even with the COVID or whatever, once that hopefully disappears or we get it under control, um, that the VA will continue those and give the veterans the option Uh, as to what they want to do as far as traveling a distance to see the physician in person or doing, let's say, a a video conference. Uh, In my opinion, it's just as good.
1: Yeah, what have you noticed uh, being in person, being doing the video conference? Like, what have you noticed of the differences?
3: I I really don't see a lot of differences. I mean, I I can see the the physician. uh, They see me. Um, We can interact with each other the same as if we were sitting in a room. So I, I really don't see a lot of difference at all.
1: Well, they can't listen to you with a stethoscope yet, but at least they can uh, well, talk to you and do all the other
3: stuff. Yeah, the standard typical kind of, uh, you know, examination, I guess they can't do over a video conference. But there again, you know, that's usually, you know, heart rate and blood pressure. And and, and oh, that's not a not a whole lot other than that unless they physically examine you for some particular reason. And if they have a particular reason that's something that's out of the ordinary, then, of course, you can always go see them in person if you need to. And if you don't have, I don't think you're missing a whole lot uh, on the other end of the spectrum where you have video conferencing uh, available.
2: And actually, uh, Rich, you'll be surprised to know there are digital tools such as digital stethoscope, digital otoscope that can um, send information right from patient to physician. Um, For example, VA has, we have a home hemodialysis program. I mean, home hemodialysis, not peritoneal dialysis. Home hemodialysis where the machine is very compact. Machine is at patient's home and patients are provided tools to say, check the pulse on their uh, bruit at the fistula to see the viability of fistula. Patient can transmit all the information through cloud-based services to um, a portal, it's really come along with the biometrics, the transmission of biometrics through a remote monitoring program that we have here at VA, and there are many companies coming along.
1: I guess as an alternative, what you could do is um, you do the telehealth session with the patient, and if they need, you know, physical stuff done, they could always maybe go to a local clinic at worst, and then that can be transmitted to you guys, you know, the main center in Pittsburgh. But if you can do it at home totally with devices that use the cloud, that's even better.
2: That's what happens for most part. It's actually with COVID, we're delivering care to patients home when um, possible. If not, uh, for example, David's care, you know, this would happen in a clinic where he would have a nurse sitting in the room with him who could do the brief physical exam for me in person there. And I could... I could watch her do the physical exam and report me the findings that she's she's having and this applies to other specialties as well. You could actually have a local nurse practitioner with the patient if you have a complex patient. So it can so technology can still help us break the barrier of the geography and take the care closer to where patients are.
1: Yeah, David, you were going to say something about this?
3: Yes, I was going to say in my particular case with my diabetes, for example, um, uh, the VA has provided me with what they call the freestyle uh, system to where uh, I can take and you know, I don't have to stick my fingers so much. I can take readings right off of a sensor that's on my arm that lasts uh, a couple of weeks and then every two weeks you replace it. And then I can download that information from my meter uh, to my computer and then upload it to Dr. Vandy, which is what I do. All the time before I meet with her, and that way she can review my readings, uh, my daily readings, my monthly, and my last 90 days. but uh, it, it goes up to I think six months out uh, or back uh, that she can actually review of all my my readings and, and and things with my diabetes to where she can adjust medications and things like that based off of the information that she's got from the uploads from from the system. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of good things like that that's available, you know, for veterans and out here that that we, uh, that the VA provides that, that that closes the gap a little bit. It, it, I think it brings us closer to the physician without actually having to be right there in front of them.
1: Yeah, my wife uses the Lifestyle Libre, and it's, you know, if you just poked your finger, first of all, it's no fun. And then Got second it. of all, you miss out on all kinds of information. You know, if, before and after you eat, you can see curves and a lot of data, so... But uh, anything that jumps out at you, what, since you've been using the CGM, like what, um, I don't know, has it revealed anything to you, like really interesting, that made you change your behavior?
3: I like to be able to pinpoint for Dr. Vandy, and that's, that's where she really helps me a lot, because, I, you know, for example, in, in the last few months, uh, I've had a high blood sugar when I woke up in the morning, in the morning time, which is after being at rest during the night, so I'm not obviously eating anything uh, during the night or whatever that's going to cause that reading to go up. Uh, although metabolically, I guess it can go up uh, from, from being at rest, but I was having a problem in the morning times and, and during the day it would level out and, and be just fine. So my afternoon readings and my evening readings were, were good. My, my morning readings were kind of getting out of, out of control a little bit. Uh, she was able to put me on a new medication that I take that has now got those morning readings down to, uh, exactly where they need to be. I mean, I, now, now I'm I'm, I'm really <laughs> clicking on all cylinders. Thanks to Dr. <laughs> Bandy. Um, you know, so that she always, and, and and I'll tell you, my experience that I've had is every single time I've had a situation like that, whether it's Dr. Bandy and, and some other physicians I've had for other conditions, they've always been able to pinpoint and give me the service that brings it in line where it needs to be uh, physically. For me, to where I'm, I'm not at risk for anything, and it gives me the opportunity to be flexible, and them to be flexible, also to where we can meet about any time because it's, it's. I think it's more convenient, tele, you know, video conferencing.
2: See what happens. I would say is that diabetes, especially, it's a team game. It's not a just patient and physician. And with the tools of telehealth, we can build the team around the patient and with the patient. So uh, when, when we took out for in data case, for example, the barrier of traveling from Clarksburg to Pittsburgh, three to four hours every day. It makes them more engaged because now we are available and through tools of technology, video teleconferencing, transmission of data across the board, it makes patients more engaged, motivated, and gives them more confidence in the care. And as a physician, it's very rewarding to be able to have a team across all working at the same playing field.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
1: Yeah, no, that's excellent. And in general, like what, you know, Dr. Bandy, from your experience being the doctor, how has it changed your relationship to patients?
2: So uh, I miss seeing my patients in person. I'll be the first one to tell. I'm a people's person. And when you sit across, but you know, what I've learned is that Just that face-to-face does not have to be. I've had, I can tell you so many stories, where if it wasn't for telehealth, the care would not happen for the patient. So for example, it has reduced our wait times from, you know, 30 days plus two. Really, we give electronic consultation within seven days. So if you were the primary care provider asking us the question, in seven days, you will have an answer or will plug in the patient to any of our virtual or face-to-face visit. So that delay in care, if you can address that, that's a huge boon. The other part is that the missed opportunities when patients can't Come to the clinic, whether it's inclement weather or uh, somebody's sick in the family or can't take the work off, um, time off work, those barriers go away. They can dial in or connect with us wherever they are. And I think being able to give the care to the patients where they are at the right time when they need it has been the most successful. And I'll tell you another story. Um, veterans, a lot of them are elderly. And sometimes they have to travel with their family members. And as a specialist, often we'll get, you know, consult request. They would travel all the way and then I would review the chart and examine them and tell them, hmm, I need to do XYZ more tests on you. And they have to go back and get that done. With e-consult, I have an opportunity to review the chart before we even schedule the patient and alert the primary care provider to do those tests. So even if when the patient does travel, it's an efficient visit. It's an efficient visit for me, but more importantly, it's an efficient visit for patients. Yeah,
1: that's good.
2: Yeah, to be able to give them An answer, um, you know, as soon as we can, is very rewarding.
1: Yeah, no, that's excellent. Has it increased your workload or decreased it or just changed the nature of uh, how many people you see a day?
2: A little bit of both. (laughs) Nothing happens happens, uh, in void, right? But it has made my work very efficient, I should say. It really has. With eConsult, we have just expanded our access or, you know, floodgates opened when we open our e-consult service. We actually had to create the video clinics in these remote location because patients were saying, I don't want to travel. You helped me before. If you want to continue helping me, find other way, but I will not travel. I had patients- oh, well. Tell me exactly that. But, you know, we had tools. We had financial and personal support, uh, to, to bring a telehealth tools such as, you know, the, um, the cameras, the specialty cart that can transmit, uh, the patient's video to my, say, my office. Um, so I think I, w- I was very fortunate to be working in an environment, uh, that was supportive of giving the care and providing the tools um, uh, that need to make the care happen.
1: So do you, um, I guess you'll see patients more often, you'll have hopefully less emergencies or less patients waiting until they're like, you know, just about to have a massive problem. So they come to you earlier.
2: That's right. So what happens is um, we have a very robust remote patient monitoring where patients have tools such as the blood pressure, weight, um, pulse, blood glucoses, oxygenation, um, and even mental health assessment that can happen daily basis or weekly basis. And these tools are connected to patient's portal via coordinator. So say for example, if Haitian sends his blood sugars and they are now rising and he also has a, um, a dropping oxygenation. So the coordinator um who's getting patient's data can right away call the patient assess him or her and either send to emergency room or connect with me right away or the nurses and we can triage things quite sooner and it's come very uh, handy in patients with heart failure in patients uh, patients um with uh, post op who are going home um and you could monitor their blood glucoses and temperature and things like that so it has saved bed days of care, so the hospitalization. It has saved the ER visits as well.
1: Um, David, from your perspective, is there anything else that telehealth can do to make it better than it is? Like, what's what's missing, if anything, still? The only
3: thing that's that's kind of a drawback, I guess you would say, for lack of terms, is the um, the filling of the prescriptions. For example, if if the prescription changes, um, it has to be by mail. And it's not an immediate kind of thing like you would go down to the local pharmacy and get it filled right now. It's something that the, the physician has to submit. The VA pharmacy sends it via the, the mail. We get, we get it three to seven days later. Um, and I don't know if there's a really good solution for that, uh, that I can think of to be, I think that's the only way they can do it. I think that's the best they can do or anybody could do actually, but it, it, it's a little bit of a lag time with the, with the, um, with the medication. Um, once it's been changed by the physician, by the time the, the patient gets it, there's a, there's a three to seven day kind of lag time in there. However, I have had physicians in in some situations where they're they're uh, meeting me, they want me to s- switch the medication immediately. That uh, the VA overnights it, um, so they do have the capability to do that if they have to. So I, I you know, it. I really think that there's not a whole lot of drawback. I'm really I'm really happy with the whole system to be honest
1: with you. Yeah, I guess I mean people can have groceries delivered, they can have all kinds of stuff delivered. So maybe there's a way that the VA will end up partnering with like you know Amazon or local pharmacies where they have runners that just they send the order electronically and they run the medication to you in two seconds quick, you know. Right.
2: I would tell you what my you know where I think we can do so much better, which is um bandwidth um the bandwidth of the uh, cell signal is so poor in certain parts of our country um, where even if we had all these tools um, if patients cannot connect patients cannot dial in um, then this all becomes a moot point um, so we as a nation really need to invest a better broadband um, services just for all, you know every sector across um, schools hospitals and you know, patients at, at home.
1: Well, can patients use Wi-Fi, or there's a certain number of them that don't even have Wi-Fi or good cell service?
2: David, do you want to chime in?
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, being here in West Virginia, thank goodness. I mean, uh, out of the, probably the one state out of all the states that we have in the country, uh, West Virginia, with the mountainous uh, terrain and everything like that, it's it's hard sometimes to. In the remote areas, of the rural areas, uh, to to get any kind of broadband service at all. Um, however, some of the uh, new new kind of approaches uh, they're going um, over the telephone lines with Giop and 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 the uh, the uh, old DSL that's still out there, although it's slow, it can still give you possible um, connection. You know, uh, but as far as uh, Doctor Benny's got a, she's totally on the money. I mean, it's going to have to be better broadband service that gives you wider bandwidth uh, more communications capability otherwise the video it's not going to work I mean it's going to be staggered and it's going to cut in and out that kind of thing and states like West Virginia particularly with being as rural and as mountainous as it is um, it's very difficult very difficult in a lot of areas to get that signal to be able to even do a video conference so in that case they have no choice they have to drive you know many many miles to go see their physician
1: um- Do some patients just do audio only? Does that preserve the signal enough enough, or can they, um, you know, maybe the VA could show them like designated spots where there is coverage that are only a few miles from them instead of them having to go the whole way?
2: So VA actually sends them, those patients who, you know, don't have through their personal means um, hotspots or access to cell service. VA does provide them hotspots or say iPad with cell service um, for them to connect if they if they can or you know clinics hospitals nearby hospitals and clinics where they can go but I'm just talking that as as just in general um, and maybe it hits me hard because um, I take care of patients with diabetes and obesity and these are the two diseases that are much more prevalent in our rural part of our country where, the access to care, especially to endocrinologists is poor. So I think it's it sounds like a double whammy to me. Uh, but again, because the system I work in um, has a really good network um, of primary care offices, I may not feel the pinch as much as any other physician um, who is outside of um, this uh, healthcare system would be. You know, Rich, there was a a financial analysis done by McKenzie Group um, Mm -hmm. in uh, summer of last year. And what they did was um, through CARES Act, a CMS had passed some uh, new billing codes so that we all could continue the care for our patients. Um, These were sort of waved, uh, through CARES for COVID coverage. So what McKinsey Group did was they took these codes and applied to all the claims that were put in in 2018. And what they came up with is 25%, up to 25% of care that was delivered in 2018 could be virtualized if we really wanted to based on these codes. And if you convert that into dollar, it's Close to $24 billion. And for me, it's the, the billion dollar, $24 billion is big money, but equally important is imagine if you could do 25% of care through telehealth means the time that say it's saved for patients to travel to the doctor's office, uh, sick leave that people have to take, um, the parents who have to take off work and take their kid, to 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 the pediatrician office. The telehealth has potential. What we really need to rally around now is, um, there are many regulatory barriers, um, and those are the reason the private sector has not, A, invested, B, interested in um, embracing telehealth. Um, none of us go to a travel agent anymore, right? None of us go to AAA to get a triptych. But, but. we talk to our astronauts in space station, you know, we're communicating with journalists in the middle of the war in real time. But healthcare is one system where the, the default mechanism is go to your doctor's office. And I really think that it's 21st century. We need to be able to go to patients home or closer to where, where they live as opposed to travel.
1: Well, what are some of the barriers remaining right now? You said, you know, both you and David seemed to say that telehealth's working great. It's reducing travel time and costs and it's, you know, better, faster care. What's left for it to do? You said bandwidth is important, but what oh, else needs to improve?
2: A lot, a lot. Telehealth has been in shackles because how it's been regula- regulated, Um, you know. The first, uh, telehealth bill and law was passed in California, um, in late, late cent, last century. And still, it's been a very hodgepodge. Every state has its own rules and regulation. For now, you could go across, um, the, um, state borders because of the COVID, um, restructuring of the regulation and billing. But, um, pre-COVID era, you couldn't. And, such a large proportion of healthcare is happening right now through telemedicine that we, we cannot go back to pre-COVID era when it comes to healthcare. It's been, it's a watershed moment and it's been just way too long, um, that we haven't made tools of technology part and parcel of care delivery, um, for patients. I, I, I just don't see why an 85 year old patient should be brought in by his 65 year old son just to hear from a physician that this thing that was seen on your thyroid ultrasound it's non-consequential you can be home don't worry about it I, i just the lack of interoperability of electronic medical records is a huge, huge issue in getting telehealth on board because we have such hodgepodge status of EMRs that if I'm working in a system where my patients are coming from other healthcare system, I don't have access to their care. There will be duplicity on in their care. There will be repeat labs. There will be repeat imaging. And that costs us to the healthcare system, so regulation, um, lack of interoperability, and acceptance by physician and healthcare system as a whole to telehealth; those are the major barriers.
1: When you're going to speak to a patient, I guess you have to review their file before you speak to them. But um, is that is that difficult? Is it hard for you to still get all the electronic health records together in one place? You know, like what what other improvements could there be to make it easier for you and so that you could see a lot more of what's going on with the patient to, uh, you know, help them better.
2: See, for me, not. VA has an electronic, um, health record system that is, so if patient could be visiting Hawaii and ended up in Hawaii, uh, ER at VA hospital, I have access sitting here in Pittsburgh. A patient could call me and say, I'm in ER here and I could look up the chart. Um, Patients who have care outside um, of VA does get transmitted into our system, but it's the non-VA system. It's the, the system outside of VA where electronic health records don't talk to each other. Um, there is no like a central repository of medical records. And you know, the one, one issue that we all will look at, why do patients not have control on their own health records? if I'm paying for yeah. my health care, I should have access to my health records, no matter which system they are in, right? I should be the owner of my health record.
1: Well, well what I noticed is, um, you know, my wife's had to do this when, you know, as you know, we're in our 40s. And um, when she has to go to a new doctor, she has to go around and collect mm-hmm. as much of her records as she can. And some of the places are now moved or closed, or, you know, it's just, There is no, yeah, uh, electronic central repository for everything that that goes with you,
2: and that's uh, as a patient, I I can see how that frustrating that would be. It's your record, you paid for this healthcare, and you don't have access to your own records. Um, so that's going to be a huge issue when we start embracing telehealth widespread. And I tell you, the consumers are ready for it. The tech enterprise is hungry to uh, create these innovative platforms Um, but the the regulatory aspect of healthcare system really really slows things down i mean i am at i'm a a va healthcare system so for us delivering the care where patient is that's our value that's you know that's what we want to do i mean david used to travel three four hours before telehealth came along right david
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, that's crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then how we tra- often
1: were you doing that, Dave? Oh, it,
3: it depends on what was going on with me at the time with my uh, condition. Uh, you know, if it was out of you know out of whack, so to speak, I may have to travel two or three times a week uh, in order to see the the physician. Uh, wow. To get stuff you know back on in line where where i was good to go depending on what the situation cool. was but you know it's it's and, and it's all kind of weather you got to drive in i mean like winter time you know you, you're going uh, mm-hmm. in the snow and the ice and all that just trying to go to see your physician uh when you can have video conferencing and they can make a determination and uh, basically fix you, you know, electronically i think that's it's great to do the video
1: conferencing. yeah now that's a huge savings archana like do you have an idea On average, how much time your patients are saving by doing this?
2: Oh yeah, we we did a study just for our e-consult, not even our you know video programs, and over two hundred forty mile travel per patient was saved, and the time was four hour and some seventeen minutes. These savings for patients who had electronic consult for their care of their diabetes.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. It's a lot.
2: It's a lot. Yeah, we have really appended our um, uh, traditional diabetes care delivery, Rich, uh, when patients need care from an endocrinologist in our system, um, in VA Pittsburgh healthcare system and the smaller hospitals that it supports. The default is e-consult uh, for almost 80% of the patients and close to 75% of incoming new patients get their care by e consult first. And then based on the complexity, we can take their care to the video clinics so that they still don't have to travel. Or on a case-by-case basis, we may bring them to Pittsburgh every six months or once a year, something like that. So it's a lot of travel saved, time saved for patients. And most importantly, the care happened in an expedited manner.
1: So that's great. Well, uh, Archana and and David, um, you know, last last remarks. Um, what do you see as the near-term future of this telehealth? Uh, again, you guys both gave ideas. What do you expect going to happen over the next year or two? Any, else, any thoughts?
2: I'll let David go first. Okay.
3: Um, I, I see it expanding. I, I think that because uh, you know, COVID is a bad situation, but I think because of the situation with COVID, it has put us in the medical community in a position to where we have to rely on the electronic and the, the video conferencing and things like that. And I think that most everybody out there that does the video conferencing, the e appointments, uh, telephonic appointments and those kind of things with their with their physician when they can, that I think they found a big, big benefit to doing that and saving cost, time of travel, you know, the 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 risk you take at traveling, you know, in certain times of the year things that you may have a, a wreck on the way to there. Um, you know, th- Those things are all avoided by, by the video conferencing capabilities. And I think it's going to expand in the future, or I at least hope so, um, to where um, a lot more can be done with it, uh, that, that they can uh, afford us more opportunities as veterans for things that we don't have to, to necessarily uh, go see the physician in person.
2: I really think COVID is such a watershed moment for healthcare. Um, and Physicians are usually risk covers people, um, but we really, I I really think we need to put our innovative hat on, Rich. And I think we as in doctors and um, pharmacists and nurses and therapists um, we really need to, COVID or no COVID, we are at the forefront of healthcare and we need to be part of this transformation. We need to sort of uh, lead the team. I mean, if the users don't create, the creation will not be beneficial to users. That's just my very firm belief. So I think we really need to take the lessons from what we have done in COVID. Um, and there are lots of financial analysis. There are lots of analyses out there. We really need to take a hard look at them and move our lawmakers to make telehealth be more easily accessible for our patients. It, it There is no going back post-COVID um, without telehealth. <laughs>
1: Well, Iceland. Well, thank you, Dr. and thank you, David, for coming on the call. I really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.